Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, part 37 in our series on the Gospel of John, we're looking at John chapter 10, where Jesus refers to himself as the Good Shepherd. And we're going to find out that the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is much better than we'd ever imagined. We've got a couple of things going on at North Shore Vineyard this week. On Monday night, we have the table, uh, dinner and a conversation on faith. It's, it's 7 o'clock at the church. We have a small group at Alan Judy's house on uh, Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And we also have baptism class this week at 7 o'clock at the church on Thursday. So if you're interested in being baptized or finding out what that's about, just come out to the class and we're going to have a baptism service in about a month from now. Well, let's go ahead and head to the church, 525 East Boston Street, downtown Covington. We've been in the Gospel of John for, this is uh, part 37, Um, and um, today we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 10, and before we get into the the passage today, though, I, I think this is one of these passages that would do us some good to kind of... Uh, what we do from time to time around here, we ca- kind of talk about history. Uh, got history buffs in here? Yes. All right. Well, for the two of you that raised your hand, <laughs> this fir- first part's going to be really interesting. Uh, <laughs> the, the passage that we're dealing today, I think it's very helpful to know kind of some of the ideas of what is going on culturally in the climate that led up to some of the events that are happening in this day. So before I get to the the text that we're going to be looking at today, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to go back about 200 years before this passage in the history of Israel. So here's the deal. It was the third winter after the disaster. Many of the people had begun to lose uh, hope that good fortune would ever return to them again. The enemy had come in and trampled all over their beloved city of Jerusalem. Many had been killed. Many more had been captured. And then yet there were still some who had colluded with the enemy. They had collaborated because they they wanted to secure some spot of power with the new regime. Probably the worst thing about what happened, though, when this enemy came into Jerusalem is what the enemy did to the temple. See, for the Jewish people... The temple in Jerusalem was seen as the one place on planet earth where heaven and earth met. The one place where God dwelled. And what did this enemy do to the temple? He came in and offered abominable sacrifices to pagan gods. It was a slap in the face of the Jewish people. It was considered just utter blasphemy. And so it's no wonder why revolution was beginning to ferment. And finally, it came to a boil. A sudden attack, a wonderful victory. The tyrant was overthrown and the city was liberated. Three years to the day after they overthrew the the wicked king, they solemnly purified the temple. They offered the proper sacrifices, they lit the lamps, and they prayed to the God of heaven and earth that they might never suffer such a thing again. And on that day, they commemorated that every year a festival should be kept to commemorate that occasion. It was called back then the Festival of Dedication. You now know it as the Festival of Hanukkah, if you've ever heard of that. The year was 167 BC. The tyrant was Antiochus Epiphanes, and the hero of the resistance was Judas Maccabeus or as he became known, 
by his wrestling name, Judah the Hammer. <laughs> One night only, Judah the Hammer. But the significant thing for our purposes was that through this remarkable act of courage and religious devotion, Judas and his family became kings. They actually became the Maccabean dynasty. And uh, some of you may even have a Bible that has the apocryphal books, and, and in them you'll find the books of the Maccabees, which tells the story uh, in the intertestamental time. So to liberate the temple from the enemy and to reconsecrate it was as close as you come, could come to doing again what David and Solomon had done in the glory days of Israel. So even though Judas Maccabeus, Judas the Hammer, was not a descendant of David, he started a dynasty which lasted for a hundred years. In fact, at the end of the dynasty, when Rome pr uh, pronounced a new king, Herod the Great, Herod wasn't even really Jewish, he was kind of half Jewish, but Herod goes out and marries a Maccabean princess to continue the Maccabean dynasty. So every time the Jewish people celebrated Hanukkah, they not only thought about God and liberation, but they also thought about kings. They didn't only think, thank God about having their temple back, but they also thought about their very rulers and how folks became kings. And so in this passage today, we're going to see Jesus walking in the temple during the festival of Hanukkah, talking about the good shepherd the real shepherd, the king who would come and show all others up as a bunch of thieves and brigands. Never let it be thought that Jesus' message was not controversial because what we're going to find out is at the end of this passage, people are picking up stones to throw at him, to stone him to death. So with this historical backdrop in mind, I want us to turn our attention now to the passage for today, which is John 10, 19 through 30. I'll go ahead and read it out. You can follow along if you want, or just listen. So there was again a division among the Judeans because of what Jesus had said. He's demon-possessed, some were saying. He's raving mad. <laughs> Why listen to him? No, said some others. That's not how demon-possessed people talk. Anyway, how could a demon open a blind man's eyes? It was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, or Hanukkah. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's porch. The Judeans surrounded him. How much longer are you going to keep us in suspense, they asked. If you are the Messiah, say so out loud. I told you, replied Jesus, and you didn't believe. The works which I am doing in my Father's name give evidence about me. But you don't believe me because you don't belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never, ever perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and nobody can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Do you mind if we shut this door real quick? I, I, I know about the time I get rolling here, we're going to have an ambulance pass by. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> In this passage, the question, you know, kind of the central question is, are you the Messiah, Jesus? And, 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 and understand, in Hanukkah, they were thinking messianically. Judah the hammer was great. Many people actually had thought that he was a Messiah uh, back 200 years before. But 
like many would be, be messiahs, he didn't really usher in the, the, the complete reign of God that people had kind of hoped for. And so they were still kind of looking, where is the Messiah? This guy, Jesus, he seems to be alluding to the fact that he's the Messiah, but are you going to come out and tell us? And Jesus says, look, I already told you. You know that stuff about the shepherd? That's messianic language. You may have heard of another shepherd king in, in, in uh, Jerusalem. You ever heard of this guy, David? David was a shepherd who became king, but he, he, he actually was a king more like a shepherd. He actually shepherded the people of Israel. He wasn't in it for his own power or prestige. He actually loved God and took care of the people that God had given him. So he was the greatest king that Israel ever had. And Jesus stands in that line as a descendant of David, and he says, I'm the good shepherd. When Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd, he's not just trying to give this picture that we see in Sunday school classrooms in America. You know, these, these cute little pictures of Jesus, you know, surrounded by lambs and kids and maybe a flower in his hair or something. You ever seen those? Jesus isn't just saying, oh, I'm just, you know, this, this, this kind of new age hippie shepherd guy that's dispensing nuggets of wisdom and, and non-controversial. He's saying, no, when he says shepherd, he's like, I'm, I'm the king. I've come here to rule. But the problem with the Jewish people of, of, of Jesus' day is the problem that, that, that we still have today. They had a certain expectation of what they thought the Messiah would look like. I mean, Judah the hammer, that sounds like a... That sounds like a Messiah kind of name, right? You, you picture this guy. I picture like Thor because he has a hammer, you know? But a lot of people want that kind of version of a king. Somebody who comes in and, and stirs up a revolution and there's a violent overthrow of the tyrant. But Jesus comes as a decidedly different kind of Messiah. Jesus says, look, I've already told you that I'm the Messiah you didn't believe. He goes on to say, the works which I'm doing in my Father's name give evidence about me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah, but I ain't a Messiah in the way you think of the Messiah. You're thinking of someone who is going to just kick butt and run the Romans out of here, but I'm showing you a whole different kind of kingdom, a kingdom that's greater than Israel, a kingdom that's greater than Rome or Greece, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God doesn't come at the edge of a sword. It doesn't come by coercion or guilt or manipulation. It comes by healing people, by setting them free, by self-sacrificial love. All the stuff that we see evident in Jesus. Jesus says, my works testify about who I am. But you can't see me as the Messiah because I don't fit that picture that you're looking for. Now, it's no wonder that the Pharisees had a, a hard time seeing Jesus as the Messiah. But you know, some of Jesus' closest friends had a hard time seeing it. If you look in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 11, there's a, a little instance where John the Baptist starts having a hard time with believing that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet that had ever been born. He's like, there's no one that comes close to what John the Baptist does. And yet, John the Baptist ends up in prison because he's kind of a political prisoner. He's made some statements about, you know, some people in power, and they lock him in prison. And he starts to get a little disillusioned. He starts to wonder, all that stuff that I've been doing, was it really for the right person? See, John the Baptist's ministry was preparing the way for the Messiah. And here he is in jail, and he sends a messenger, and John... Uh, Matthew 11, chapter 2, I mean, verse 2. 
When John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Can you hear the doubts there? <laughs> like, I've invested a whole lot in you, but are you, are you really the guy? Because <laughs> if you're the guy, then why am I here in prison? <laughs> if you're the Messiah who's going to set things right, then how come I'm locked up in jail all by myself on death row? You ever felt that way with God sometimes? And Jesus replies, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What is Jesus saying to John? He says, John, look, I know you got this idea of what the Messiah is going to look like. I get it. But let me reconfigure your idea. I don't want you to get offended with me because of what I'm doing. This stuff, healing the, the, the blind, the lame, cleansing the lepers, preaching the good news to the poor, that is the Messiah work. That's what God is up to. And I know it doesn't fit maybe this picture you had in your mind that was, you know, Steven Spielberg, you know, clouds and power and, you know, kicking people out of here and clean, clean, cleansing the temple and stuff. But this is the work of the kingdom of God. Don't get offended because it's not working out the way that you thought it would. See, the heroes of our world, you know, when you look at movies that we, I mean, even some movies I like, right? You know, Braveheart, Dirty Harry, you know, <laughs> we kind of, we, we really have this, this picture of a hero in the movies that, that, that I mean, just, Half the movies that are out there, action movies and stuff. The hero is this guy who the enemy attacks, and then he goes off on vengeance. You know, go ahead, make my day. You know, he's out for vengeance, and, and the, the climactic part of the movie is when he's finally killed off every bad guy that messed with him and his woman or whatever, right? Those are the kind of stories that, that we love, that, that we get into in our culture, and for many of us, we want a God who's like that, who's vindictive, who's, who will smite people, especially the ones we don't like. The ones who don't have the same political be beliefs as us, or, or the ones who don't have the same kind of doctrine as God, smite them down. But we've got to reconfigure our idea of what Jesus is like. We've got to saturate ourselves in that. I think that's one reason we're singing so much this morning about the love of Jesus. We've got to let the love of Jesus change the way we see God. Because he ain't like us. I want to prove this uh, real quick. Prove it. <laughs> that's probably a bad way to say it. There is a, a view of God that is quite popular today that sees every event that happens on planet Earth as ordained by God. As, as if anything that happens, good or bad, is exactly what God wanted to have to. It, it's, it's his will. And on the surface, this, this sounds good. You know, God, God's large and in charge. He's sovereign, and nothing happens apart from his will. Um, but this view gets a little problematic when you think of things like the Holocaust or sexual abuse or shootings in schools. Is God really behind all of that stuff? Is God just moving chess pieces around on a board? Is there, is there no free will in any of this? And oftentimes I find that when you press people on this belief on God, uh, in God, this, this type of belief, 
what they will resort to is Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. This is God speaking. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, a lot of times they appeal to this because, okay, yeah, there's some things that look really bad, but we just got to trust God's sovereign, and uh, he's mysterious, and, you know, bad things are going to happen, but God's behind it, but, but we just got to trust him because I don't, you know, he may look like a monster right now, but someday we'll see that he wasn't so evil, and, and that Holocaust stuff, you know, it, it really had a greater sense of purpose or plan or whatever. But I want to read this passage in context today because I, th- I think this is one of these verses that, that really says the opposite about how God really is. And I think it's one of these, 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 these uh, chapters in Isaiah that actually says something about Jesus. It's one of those prophecies that says, look, the good news is better than you could ever wrap your mind around. You want to hear it? You want to hear the good news? Isaiah 55, I'm going to start at the first part, and you're going to see what God's actually saying. This isn't an excuse to, uh, you know, make up for all the bad things that we think God does. This is actually quite the opposite. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why do you spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. And eat what is good. You will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you do not know. And nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. What is he getting at? You guys, you're the revengeful, vindictive ones. But God's not like that. His ways are higher than your ways. Turn to the Lord. Let the wicked person abandon their sin. Let let, let people seek God while he's near, and God will have mercy and abundantly pardon them. That's the good news. The good news is there ain't nothing you've done in your life that will keep you from God. Nothing. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you come in today with, what you're ashamed of. There is nothing in your life that disqualifies you from the love of God. And this is the good news here, that God ain't like us. (laughs) God isn't like us. And he's not like the God that we tend to make based on our own things. We tend to want a vindictive, revengeful God. I don't know if we want it, but we believe that. I believe that's what the Pharisees wanted. That's why they had such a hard time with Jesus. What is this guy doing? He's eating with prostitutes and tax collectors. He can't be God. He's he's healing people on the Sabbath. He's breaking God's law. How can he be God? 
he's hanging out with all the wrong people. No, because that's, that's the good news. <laughs> that's the good news. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is open to everybody. All you got to do is turn to me. That's it. You don't get in because you're talented or good looking or you got connections. You get in simply because of Jesus. That's really, really amazing good news. His ways are higher than our ways. That doesn't mean that he's, he's just so mysterious and bad things that happen. Well, you know, God will understand it someday. No, it means he's, his ways are better than your ways. His ways are so much infinitely more better than you. I, I love what Jesus said one time. This is great. How many, how many parents we got in here this morning? All right. How many sons and daughters do we have in here this morning? It's a trick question. Okay. <laughs> there's there's a, a passage where Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, then how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? Jesus, in other words, he's telling us to look at the love that we feel for our own kids. You know, I, I remember after my daughter, I'm going to embarrass her real quick. You're on the front row, babe. When my daughter was born, I remember holding her in my arms when she was just a couple months old and looking at her. And it's like there was this love that I felt for her. And I'm like, I don't know where it came from. You know that love? You know that love? It, it's like, and, and I remember thinking, staring at my daughter, thinking, I don't know how she could ever do anything that, that would make me not love her. I, I, it's, it's, I can't even comprehend. I mean, there, I'm sure there's a limit to my love. <laughs> Don't try. Uh. <laughs> as long as she doesn't date till she's 30, that's, that's fine. Uh, but I, I remember looking at her thinking, there, I can't imagine anything that could take this love that I feel for her away. I can't, I, I can't fathom it. But as much as that love is that I have for my daughter, Jesus says, it, it, I, the love of God is way, 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 way much more than that. God is saying, look at your own capacity of love. You've, everybody knows how to love a little bit. He says, if you being evil, I mean, even, even bad guys sometimes want to buy good gifts for their kids, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who want it? That's good news. Amen. Are you hearing it? Yeah. You know, there was a time shortly after my daughter was born, um, we went through a, a period of about a year where we had two miscarriages in about a, a, a year's time. And, and that's a horrible thing to go through. You get excited about a new baby, and then all of a sudden, it's just like a roller coaster. The first one was bad, but then, you know, when, when, when two things happen in your life, you know, two points kind of make a line, you start adding things up, and you're like, did, did I do something to make God mad? Anybody ever feel that? Like, uh, and and we, we were struggling with that, especially Dana. She was just like, felt guilty. And all you got to do is go online and you'll feel more guilty because then you think, oh, well, you probably weren't eating right. Or maybe you were too stressed out or too anxious and you start questioning everything that you've done. And sometimes people are willing to help you. <laughs> but she went to this retreat center in West Louisiana to, um, 
to kind of get healed up about a month after the, the miscarriage. She just wanted to go spend some time with God. And so she was thinking, I'll just go to this retreat center, pray, read my Bible, maybe get some ministry and, and um, uh, you know, just you know, get my heart healed a little bit. And so she showed up at this little retreat center, and she's talking to the lady that owned it, and, and the lady's asking why she's there, and she begins to, to share, you know, I just had my second miscarriage and stuff. And she was expecting that this woman was going to say, oh, you know, let me pray for you and stuff. Well, you know what this woman said to her? She said, well, y- your, your body was made to carry a baby to term. And so if you didn't carry a baby to term, then it means that there's obviously some sin in your life. I'll take this out of Christianese a little bit, put it in regular terms. (laughs) It's your fault. It's your fault that this baby died. And I get a call from Dina that night, and all I got to say is it's good that this lady was several hours away from me. Because I never felt so angry with another Christian in my life. I'm like, really? A woman's had two miscarriages. She's coming to a place to, to, to get healed up and be with Jesus. And you're going to say, it's your fault. Nina called me. She was just like, is it true? Is it my fault? Did I do this? Did I bring it on myself? And I'm like, no. But you know what was sad? <laughs> is as angry as I wanted to be at, as this, at this woman, God began to... Uh, Say, Crispin, let's take a walk down memory lane in your life a bit. <laughs> and I, I, I really didn't like what God began to show me because as much as I hated what this woman said, I realized that as God began to bring up my memories from the past few years leading up to that point, I had said some awful things to people. <laughs> awful. With, with Christian words. You know, like a friend of mine who was struggling with his finances and really having a hard time paying the bills. Oh, well, you just, you just ain't tithing enough, brother. Your finances are cursed. A woman who'd had an abortion. And I'm just making moral judgments on her right in front of her face. Broken wounded people in, in relational problems. I'm just telling them, ah, you just need to read your Bible more. Maybe if you prayed a little bit more, maybe if you just quoted scriptures a little bit more, maybe this stuff wouldn't happen. I was giving the cold answer of religion instead of the compassion of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced. You know, I, got, I, I, talk, I, I hear a lot of Christians that are scared of the grace of God. They're scared of the grace of God. Oh, if you tell people about the grace of God, man, they're going to, who knows what they, they're going to be hanging out on Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras, getting crazy. If you start telling people that God loves them unconditionally, it'll mess them up. It will. It will mess you up. It'll change your life. I'm convinced that the reason that woman said that kind of things to Dina is because she'd never received the grace of God in her own heart. She'd been a Christian for years. She'd been in ministry. But she had a view of God as this vindictive one who wants to just smite people down every time they they have something bad. You know, every time they don't do exactly what he says, he's just going to curse them. Press the smite button. (laughs) Wasn't that a far side cartoon, I think? It should have been. 
smite. I got to tell you, I lived that kind of Christianity for so long. Up and down. I wasn't gracious with other people because I hadn't really received the grace of God myself. I was so busy trying to, to, to make God happy by reading my Bible or by serving at the church or by doing this thing or that thing. If I just do enough of this, then, then God's going to approve of me and he'll hit the bless me button instead of the smite button and everything will be good. But it wasn't until I repented of that, repented of my own religion and began to experience the grace of God that, that God loves me on my best day as much as he loves me on my worst day. It wasn't until I encountered that that I really began to see a change in my life. The grace of God has totally wrecked my world. You know, I'm, I'm still capable of judging people. I'm still capable of accusing people. But I got to tell you, I'm much, <laughs> I do it much less now than I once did. And I attribute that only to the good news of Jesus Christ. His ways are better than mine. He's a lot more better. He's a lot more better than the best love that you've ever experienced on this planet. His love is, is infinitely greater, infinitely deeper, infinitely wider. And if we let our, our, our hearts be open to this, it will absolutely wreck us. Come, all you who are thirsty, all you who are poor, all you who've been spending money on things that don't even satisfy. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the, un and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely and abundantly pardon. Because he's not like you and he's not like me. I like holding grudges. I don't like it, but it, it comes natural, right? You do me wrong, I might forgive you one time. Do me wrong a couple times, I don't know. We may have a problem there. But God's not like me. He's infinitely greater than anything we can ask or think or imagine. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they will follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never, ever perish and nobody can snatch them out of my hand. You hear the, the security in that? My sheep hear my voice and nobody can take them out of my hand. Sometimes we think you have a bad day, cuss at somebody out on the freeway because they pulled in front of you. You kick the dog on the way out the house. <laughs> Sometimes we think we can, some, something like that can snatch us out of the hands of Jesus. Let me tell you, honey, it ain't going to snatch you out of the hand of Jesus. Nobody can snatch you out of the hand of Jesus. Rest in his love. You're in the house. You're in the house. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and nobody can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. See, Jesus is, is telling people, he's like, look, I am at one with my heavenly father, and I got you. And you get in because of me. Just stay close to me, and you get everything that the father has. That's the good news. That's the gospel, people. The gospel is, you can get in on it. 
just this morning. You can. It doesn't matter where you're at. All you got to do is be crazy enough to believe. Be crazy enough to believe. Now, I got to tell you two things here real quick. There's this old story of the prodigal son. Uh, I think Alan Judy's house. Y'all just wrapped up a study on that. The story of the prodigal son. There's, there's, it's really the story of the older brother. There's two sons in this house. One is the prodigal who just goes out and wastes his, his father's inheritance on, on prodigious living, whatever that is. It's, you know, <laughs> prostitutes and drugs and whatever, right? And he comes back home. He's got a lot of shame in his life, and he just wants a job as a slave. But the older brother, he's been faithfully doing his job the whole time. But you know the interesting thing of the, the, the prodigal son's story? When the younger brother gets home and, and, and his father's wanting to sell, have a celebration, the older brother's like, I ain't going in there. I can't believe you, you letting this guy who spent the whole inheritance, you letting him come in and you're going to throw a party for him? No way. I've been here all this time. You've never had a barbecue for me. Not even a little lamb. But the interesting thing <laughs> I want some too, dude. <laughs> He's having a Homer Simpson moment barbecue. <laughs> but the interesting thing about the prodigal son story is that it shows us that there's two different ways to be estranged from God. And I think we're, we're much more familiar with the prodigal son. We can see, oh, those sinners down on Bourbon Street. Or those sinners over there that act like this way. Or these people over here. They're sinners. We can, uh, we can easily see what they're into. And we can get that, yeah, there are certain destructive things in life that you need to turn from. We get that. I think the harder thing to see is what the older brother had. It was judgmental, accusing. Here's the thing. The older brother, he was working the whole time. He was doing everything, uh, you know, everything that he should. And yet he was estranged from his father. He was in the house, but he wasn't in the house. He was in the house, and yet his own self-righteous, judgmental attitude kept him from being in relationship to the Father. If you're here this morning, and you're struggling with, with, with some kind of sin in your life, uh, addiction, maybe a bad relationship, some kind of thing, and, and you know you need to turn to Jesus, turn to Jesus. And I think that's probably the easiest group in here. The hardest thing to repent of is our own religion. The hardest thing to repent of because we, we're so invested in it. We've, we've made these ideas about God, and we don't realize that they've separated us from God. But I just ask you, look at the pictures of Jesus and compare them to your idea of what you think God is. Because I think there's some people in here, you, you still think that God's this, this you know, bearded guy with a stick waiting to beat you down. And that ain't. That's not the good news. <laughs> the good news is Jesus. So whether you're caught in religion today or whether you're just caught in some other things, hey, get in the Father's house. The invitation is open. It's based on Jesus. Why don't you all stand up?